Tuesdays, where your friendly neighborhood YWC advocates talk to you about all things sexual assault to help raise awareness during Sexual Assault Awareness Month, which is this month, in case you didn't already know. I'm Tina. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm Kinsey. My pronouns are also she, her. I'm a sexual assault case advocate and campus advocacy coordinator. Those are kind of lengthy titles, but basically my job is to provide emotional support and advocate for survivors of sexual assault. I do this in different settings, including hospitals, police departments, courts, and also universities. It can be really difficult and scary for survivors to navigate the different systems that they become involved with after experiencing sexual assault. And my goal as an advocate is to help make things a little bit less scary by standing by them, explaining the processes to them, and eliminating barriers. So today we're going to talk about a couple of uh, YWCA programs that are based in our community. Tina, you want to talk about Raise the Bar? Absolutely. So I'm the coordinator for the Raise the Bar program. Um, Raise the Bar is a free bystander intervention program that is made possible by the United Way and the Wayfinder Grant. Our training team partners with any alcohol-serving establishments to help sharpen their skills to safely and effectively respond to sexual aggression gender-based violence, or sexual harassment. As I mentioned before, our free training <laughs> is two hours, it's interactive, and is available in person or over Zoom. So Raise the Bar training includes topics that will help people to recognize the problem, understanding what is consent, and different bystander intervention techniques. This will include scenarios and how to respond, and of course, community resources. After an establishment has been trained, we offer free PR through social media and free digital copies of the techniques we will go over during the training. The certification is for one year and may be renewed every year. Awesome. Um, so I do have some questions for you about Raise Good. the Bar. Um, so you're going into bars and giving this training. Um, why did you choose to go into bars? Like, what kind of a factor does alcohol play in sexual assault? Okay, good question. So, 54% of sexual assault victims are between the ages of 18 and 24. That number is important because this is the main age group that is going out and becoming independent and visiting bars and clubs. Also, 50% of sexual assaults, the aggressor uses alcohol as a weapon. When we say weapon, we are referring to when an aggressor creates a situation that places the victim in a more vulnerable state. This can be when a perpetrator does something to someone, like dosing or pressures them to drink more, even if they say they don't want any more drinks. Mm -hmm. Alcohol doesn't cause rape. It is caused by a person who chooses to rape another person. And legally, consent cannot be given if someone is intoxicated. I think that's something that's really important for us to be talking about in the community because there is a lot of confusion about consent, probably due to a lack of education about it, like in our public schools and everything. Um, but I do think that uh, this program can at least help uh, the bar staff understand that, you know, this substance that they are serving people makes it to where, you know, 
the people that are consuming it can't consent to sexual activity. Um, so why do you think it's important for bar staff to be involved in this process? Bars are intentional communities with their own set of rules, norms, and practices, and we create all of those. Bar and brewery employees and management are in a unique position to ensure a safe and fun environment for their community and staff by being able to intervene in situations involving potential sexual aggression. Bar and brewery staff know their people and they know the atmosphere, so they are the experts. I love that because um, it's so true. I mean, who knows a place better than the actual employees of that place? They know the ins and outs of everything. Right. They probably have regular customers. Absolutely. They probably already know who the regular troublemakers are. So now you're kind of giving them the tools they need to kind of keep an eye on those people and exactly. step in when needed. That's really awesome. Um, speaking of stepping in, uh, why do you think that people don't get involved or step in when they witness gender-based violence or something, even that they just think, maybe this is a weird situation, not sure if I should intervene or not. What do you think goes through people's heads? I think most of the time they just don't know how to respond. And it's totally normal to not know what to do or when to intervene. There are a lot of what ifs to consider. So this training will help provide ways to safely intervene. And what works for one person may not be comfortable for another person. And this training will provide scenarios and different ways to respond. Some people may be comfortable with direct and speak directly to the person making someone feel uncomfortable. I myself am more of a delegate type <laughs> person. So I would go and find like staff or a bouncer and ask them if they can interrupt the situation. Uh, some people may be more comfortable with the distract technique like spilling water on someone. Um, you know, asking them, do you want to go to the restroom with me to get them away from the potential aggressor. Yeah, I'm definitely not a super direct person in those situations. <laughs> I don't like confrontation. Um, so I would definitely also prefer to be a distraction. Um, I'm fine with making a fool of myself. So I'll stand up on a table, start tap dancing, whatever it takes to make sure that if I feel like somebody is in an unsafe situation, that they at least have the opportunity to get out of that situation. Yeah. So that's great. That's awesome that you give people different options based on their comfort levels. Yes. So why do you feel that um, this intervention strategy is needed or what are the pros of someone intervening? Okay. So you aren't going to ruin anyone's experience just by making sure everyone is safe. However, someone's life could be ruined if you don't. So I think choosing to make our community a safer place for all of us is the key goal of the Raise the Bar program. These techniques can be used in everyday life, not just where a setting where alcohol is being consumed. A wise person once said, what hurts the victim the most is not the cruelty of the oppressor, but the silence of the bystander. So an amazing establishment that has already been trained to Raise the Bar is Ludivine. They will be partnering with the YWCA for a sexual assault awareness event on April 20th of this year. A percentage of the proceeds will be donated to the YWCA sexual assault department. Ludivine is located at 320 Northwest 10th. That's awesome. We love a trained bar. We love a bar that's going to make us feel like we're safe to drink there and to just hang exactly. out there. That's amazing. I love it. 
Um, I want to ask you one more question. Okay. As the Raise the Bar Coordinator, why is this program important to you? So everyone wants to work or own or go to a bar or restaurant where they feel safe because everyone deserves to feel safe. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Love it. So if you work in a bar or restaurant or you frequent a bar or you own a bar and you feel like this free training would be beneficial to you, please visit the YWCA Oklahoma City website and search Raise the Bar. So, Kinsey, will you please tell us about your program, Survivor Central? Yes, I will, Tina. Um, so, the Sexual Assault Department at the YWCA, we have teamed up with the Center at the University of Central Oklahoma for a new program called Survivor Central. We're really, really excited about it. Um, through this program, the YWCA will be able to provide on-campus advocacy to UCO students who have experienced sexual assault, um, also domestic violence or stalking, on or off campus. The center, um, which is run by an amazing woman, her name is Dr. Lindsay Churchill, it has two different branches, the Women's Research Center and then the BGLTQ Plus Student Center. Their goals are to engage and advance women in the BGLTQ Plus community at UCO and also beyond, um, as well as to provide a safe communal space for students to gather to learn more about critical social issues. This program will allow for UCO student volunteers to provide advocacy for their peers who have experienced sexual assault, domestic violence, and stalking. And these student volunteers will also be obtaining college credit for their internships through the Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies program, which is also headed up by Dr. Churchill. Um, so during the center's hours of operation, which are 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., Monday through Thursday, there will always be a Survivor Central Advocate available to meet with survivors in a confidential private area. Um, and so through this partnership with the center, we're really hoping to reach more UCO survivors and provide them with the resources and services that they deserve. This sounds like an amazing program. Thank you. And we're very, very much needed. So I have a question. Why college students? Great question. Um, statistically speaking, college students are at a much higher risk of sexual assault than the general population. So according to research, about one in four women and one in 16 men will be sexually assaulted while in college. But research also shows us that sexual assault affects women and the BGLTQ community at really high rates compared to heterosexual men. As just one example, 47% of trans individuals experience sexual assault in their lifetimes. So in our field, it's very commonly known that um, survivors in the BGLTQ plus community often don't feel like it's safe for them to seek help, mm -hmm. which could be due to a number of factors. Um, if a trans or gender nonconforming survivor um, is seeking emergency shelter, for example. They could be turned away just based purely on their gender. Um, they also could face discrimination and purposeful misgendering even if they are able to make it into an emergency shelter, um, whether that's by other survivors that are in the shelter or even by staff. Um, and so facing those kinds of barriers and um, that kind of discrimination in the past or just knowing that that is a 
possibility can really deter people from wanting to even come to agencies that claim to be the ones that will help them. Um, so it's really, really problematic, obviously, and it's a systemic issue. It's not just um, something that you see at, you know, one organization or another. It's, it's unfortunately, you see it everywhere. Um, so because of these things, um, you know, we as organizations really need to be meeting marginalized survivors, survivors that come from marginalized communities where they are. If a VGLTQ plus survivor has not publicly come out, they may also be afraid to seek help because of the risk of being outed, whether that is by their perpetrator or again by the very organizations and systems that they are seeking help from. Um, being outed can be fatal for an, a VGLTQ plus survivor, and it is up to us to meet marginalized survivors where they are and to ensure that we as service providers are educated about the systemic issues this community faces. These things really should come as no surprise to us, the discrimination and the barriers that this community faces, even when you know seeking help. Um, the Human Rights Campaign published a report in 2020 titled Dismantling a Culture of Violence, and they do a really great job of breaking down the factors that contribute to the increased level of violence that trans and gender non-conforming individuals experience into three main components. Dehumanization, denial of opportunity, and increased risk factors. Dehumanization of trans and gender nonconforming individuals becomes a societal norm for us through the language that is used to speak about those individuals, um, which is often used to put them down or to make fun of them for their gender. It could also look like being kicked out of their home or being rejected by their families. And this dehumanization ends up leading into denials of opportunity um, that can include inadequate and unequal access to housing, healthcare, education, employment, and, and more. So these denials of opportunity will often lead to trans and gender nonconforming individuals um, experiencing or being exposed to increased risk factors of violence. This includes things like engaging in sex work, and experiencing homelessness, poverty, and physical and mental health issues. These factors then are used to justify why these individuals should be dehumanized, should be viewed as inferior or subhuman. And so it just perpetuates this cycle of violence towards trans and gender nonconforming folks. Um, so these factors, it's really important to note, are exacerbated by racism and sexism as well. Um, so all the dehumanization, denials of opportunity, the increased risk factors, all of those things are also affected by um, systemic racism and sexism. We can see that uh, very clearly in that trans women of color account for four out of every five anti-transgender homicides. Um, so, you know, you can't think of really any social issue as just it in and of itself. You have to think about all of the other factors that are um, 
contributing to uh, these things. So um, <clears throat> it, if we ignore those factors and the systemic issues that the BGLTQ plus community faces, we are contributing to the violence the community experiences. Um, so to tie all this back into Survivor Central, I went on a soapbox for a minute, um, but to tie it all back in, um, you know, college is a time when people are exposed to a diverse environment, and often it's a time where students explore their own sexuality or feel comfortable coming out as part of the BGLTQ plus community. Um, so knowing that college students are at an increased risk of sexual violence, and that often um, college students are figuring out who they are um, and figuring out you know, these different parts of their identity and being more vocal about those. Um, you know, if someone is also part of the BGLTQ plus community, they're also at even more risk as a college student. Um, and so the center is a place where um, they talk about all of these social issues. They understand the intersectionality of everyone's identities and how that affects their um, risk of sexual violence. Um, and so it just made perfect sense for us to uh, partner up with them. And so they're really passionate about spreading that awareness and advocating for the BGLTQ plus community. Um, so uh, we're just really grateful that we're able to partner with them. And we're hoping that by providing advocacy in the safe, nurturing and affirming environment that the center has created, that we'll be able to provide help to survivors who might have otherwise felt unsafe um, like coming to the YWCA for help or, you know, going to law enforcement for help um, because often, uh, you know, if they don't seek help from certain types of agencies, they may not even know about our services or um, they may just be really uncomfortable not knowing exactly if they um, can trust us if we're a safe and, and affirming organization. So I'm really excited to be able to, to do that and offer those services. Um, in a place where hopefully everyone feels safe. So your um, statistics were absolutely mind-blowing. So I'm very glad that you're now educating the rest of the community on things that we should be aware of. Thank you. So what kind of services will be um, available at Survivor Central? Um, so the Survivor Central advocates will be able to provide crisis intervention services, mm -hmm. which often looks like providing emotional support and validation while a survivor discloses what they have experienced. Um, advocates will be able to provide and explain what options survivors have to them. Um, they can explain to them what a sane exam is, what that process looks like, and how a survivor can participate in one if they if they would like to. Um, they will be able to discuss the pros and cons of reporting to law enforcement or to Title IX with survivors, and they can be present with survivors who choose to make those reports. For those of you listening who may not know what Title IX is, um, Title IX is a federal mandate that all universities have to comply with. Um, it basically, um, universities have their own investigative process outside of any investigative process that might be happening with like the criminal justice system or anything like that. And so it's all in-house at the university and they can determine whether or not they are going to find a responding party um, or what we would call a perpetrator uh, responsible or not responsible for the sexual violation that occurred. 
Um, so if anybody has more questions about Title IX, we are going to have a Q&A later on this month, and we would love to have your Title IX questions then. We will answer all of them that we can. Um, so if somebody wants to report to either law enforcement or Title IX, an advocate can be present with them if they want them to be present with them. Um, they're also going to be able to provide survivors with on-campus resources for counseling, STI testing, and other UCO-specific resources. Um, so if a survivor does have needs outside of the purview of the university setting, mm -hmm. then they'll be introduced to a sexual assault case advocate like me, um, who can help them with things like filing a BPO, um, law enforcement interviews, connecting them with our support group, or finding follow-up medical care in the community. So I love that you're providing so many choices for people and allowing them to choose what works best for them. So my question would be, do you have to report to Title IX to receive the services? Great question, and the answer is absolutely not. We are here to help survivors and serve survivors in whatever capacity we can, and that means that they get to decide what happens and what doesn't happen. Um, one of the things that we're really big at at the YWCA is A, all of our services are voluntary, and B, um, we want survivors to have all of the power and control over what does and does not happen with their case, um, with their experience. It is theirs and they get to decide what they do and don't want to do. Um, if someone wants to access counseling but doesn't want to make a police report or doesn't want to report to Title IX, that's great. We are going to provide them with whatever services they are interested in and we never pressure anyone into reporting because that's a very personal choice. So tell me like what kind of training will the Survivor Central Advocates have? Great question. All volunteers must undergo 36 hours of crisis services training from the YWCA before they will be allowed to provide any services to survivors whatsoever. This is in accordance with Oklahoma law, which requires anyone providing advocacy to survivors to undergo this training from an agency that has been certified by the Oklahoma Attorney General, like the YWCA in Oklahoma City. So this training uh, prepares advocates to work with people who are in crisis due to the trauma that they've experienced. It has several different components and includes training on things like how to help someone who is extremely elevated and emotional to de-escalate through the use of several different techniques. Uh, but most importantly, this training stresses the need to be trauma-informed in your approach to working with survivors, which is really of the utmost importance when doing this kind of work. Um, trauma-informed care prioritizes and centers the survivor which like I just spoke about, um, we are all about making sure that all the power and control remains in the survivor's hands. Mm -hmm. Whatever they want to happen is what's gonna happen. We are never going to pressure them to do anything based on what someone else thinks is the right thing or what we think is the right thing to do. Um, and so that also involves, um, ask, instead of asking questions like, what's wrong with you, or why did you do that? Mm -hmm. We ask questions like, what happened to you, or how can we help you feel safe? Um, so the language we use can really make or break a situation. Um, it's often the deciding factor in whether or not a survivor will seek help or will continue to seek help from our organization, any other organization. Um, and so it's really important 
to us here at the YWCA for all of our advocates to be trained in trauma-informed care. Well, thank you, Kenzie, for all your wonderful information. Is there a place that people can go if they want to become an advocate at UCO? Yes. If someone would like to volunteer for Survivor Central, there are a few requirements. Um, first is that you have to be a student at UCO. Um, if you're a student at other colleges, I'm really sorry, but we don't have a program at your college yet, maybe one day. Um, but uh, this program, the students that are going to be advocates, um, a lot of them are getting internship credit um, through uh, the Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies program, um, and so it's, they kind of get the best of both worlds. They get to volunteer for the YWCA, and they are also gaining some college credit. Um, you can definitely volunteer with us um, without it being a part of your internship, if you're interested in that at all. Um, I would suggest going to the center. It's located in Thatcher Hall, room 106, um, and just let the person at the desk know that you're interested in becoming a Survivor Central Advocate, and then they will connect you with someone who can talk to you about that um, and, and sort of walk you through that process. Um, if you are interested in just volunteering for the YWCA, you don't go to UCO, but you still want to be involved, um, then I would suggest going to our website, www.ywcaokc.org. And you can click on, there's a tab that says volunteer, um, and you can click on that. There's a form you have to fill out, some other things you have to do. Um, and then you got to go through our training just like everybody else. And then they'll put you with a program that's right for you, and you'll get to do some awesome work with us. Okay. So much great information you've given us today, Kenzie. <laughs> no, thank you so, so well. much. Well, thank you all for joining us today, and we will see you next time. Yes, and um, just so everyone's aware, we are going to have a Facebook Live Q&A on April 30th. It'll be at 1 p.m., and we are asking everyone to text us your questions to the number 918-921-0123, and follow us on social media if you would like to. We'll have... Um, updated information about all the events that we have going on for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Um, our Instagram is YWCA underscore OKC, and on Facebook it's just YWCA Oklahoma City. Um, and like I said, we'll post information there regularly throughout the month of April um, for all these different cool events, so you can even maybe come meet us in person if you'd like. It's going to be great. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone.